Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Hello, 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 and welcome to Defending in Numbers, the football podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty pretending to know a little bit more about the beautiful game than we really do. My name is Rob Armstrong, and I am here, one-legged, one-brain-celled, knowing nothing, nothing about the great game of football, but here to help me is the most electrifying man in all of football statistics, George Ellick. How are you, George? Hi, mate. Yeah, very good. Good to be back. Good. And joining you, a debutante today, we have David Priest. David, how are you? I'm very well, mate. I like the the electrifying. Yeah, yeah and I get it every time. Yeah, we, like we need to think of something for you. Well, I think the yeah. good thing, I mean, even with you on one leg, I think having having Priest here means it would be quite a good three-a-side team, um, which would be good because... You know, we've got an ex-pro here. Yeah, He's I mean, you'd have to play left wing though, wouldn't he? Well, no, you'd be on the bench for me and you. <laughs> you, 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 you and Net, and then me just running around like a madman. I was going to say, we might have to put David uh, outfield. I'll have to I'll have to take the goalkeeper in place. We'll see, we'll see what you've got outfield. Uh, I'm not moving anywhere anytime soon. So everyone, look forward to some painkiller, uh, <laughs> painkiller-influenced podcasting coming up. Uh, of course, you can find us on Deezer, on iTunes, and all the places where you find podcasts and listen to podcasts and do all of those kind of things. Share, rate, review, and subscribe. And now, without further ado, let's get on to Week by Numbers. The Week by Numbers. So let's start with the most exciting moment of Italian football I've seen in at least three days. Uh, or four days by the time it's come out. I was sitting there on Sunday waiting for my lovely knee surgery on Monday morning, thinking, what am I going to do to relax myself? So I decided to watch Benevento AC Milan, assuming that it would be a kind of routine win for AC Milan. But then in the 95th minute, that's 95, the number, if, in case anyone was wondering, up pops Alberto Brignoli to score an equaliser for Benevento, earning them their first ever point in Serie A. Uh, David, I've got to come to you as a goalkeeper. How much did you enjoy seeing that? It's the dream, isn't it? It's, particularly in the circumstances. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but the, uh, there's only one thing I've got about goal, goals by goalkeepers in this sort of manner is that I don't tend to count them as goalkeeper goals. Wow. A real goalkeeper goal for me, in my book, is scored from your own box. A la mm. Paul, Paul Robinson, Paul Robinson yeah. Tim Howard. Yeah. As Mia Begovic. That's a proper goal. When you can score from 90 yards away. <laughs> so we're, we're discounting Jimmy Glass. He's, isn't he's there, a nobody. Isn't the, isn't, the, isn't the theory there that that's luck, though? And this is, you know, this is actual skill. Have any of those guys actually meant yeah, it? Is, is wind not the scorer there? It's the assist, yeah. Tell Chilivet and Campos you're taking their goals away from them and see how they're like that. No, but it was remarkable. And you look at the... The technique in it as well. It's like he's, he's been shot out of a cannon. Mm. <laughs> it's all. It reminds me of Mark Poom's uh, for Sunderland against Derby. All uh, f- uh, it was about I don't know, 10, 50 years ago. Fifteen years ago, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, hands by the sides, head forwards, and it just sort of slaps him on the back of the head. Yeah. And it's, it's ridiculous that it's, it goes anywhere near the goal. Really, the thing that I, I think is great about it is that it it was fairly evident before a ball was kicked this season that Benevento are going to have to enjoy their one season in Serie A and so far they haven't enjoyed it whatsoever and pointless going into December but seeing the reaction of the fans to that to that equaliser doing it against AC Milan doing it at your home your home stadium I don't reckon there's a single fan who would take that moment for a, for a point earlier in the season Yeah, I think, been... I think being pointless and having that moment where you get your first point with your keeper scoring 95, 95th minute equaliser against the giant of Italian football that is you know, AC Milan even though in their current state, they're not at the top. Is absolutely unbelievable. 
Um, the flip side of it is that I think the storyline behind it is good news for a certain Gattuso because uh, that is uh, Gennaro Gattuso's first game in charge of Milan. Um, he has had a very rocky start as manager in his career so far. Um, at Pisa, he had some success. Um, he was very, very bad, or very, very poor at Palermo. Um, he went to managing Crete. I mean, this this guy doesn't have the credentials whatsoever to be a Serie A manager, despite his fantastic playing career. Um, he even tried to return to Scotland, obviously, where he was, um, where he played for Rangers as manager for Hamilton Ac- Academical, replacing Alex Neal about four years ago, and didn't get that job. Um, so I think that whilst the story for, for Benevento is, is a good one and uh, and their fans are rightly excited, I think the warning bells are already starting to ring um, for the club legend that is Gattuso and his time in the dugout at, at AC. Yeah, it's been a bit of a horror show so far this year for AC Milan, given that all that money that came in at the beginning of the season, we all thought they were going to, I mean, I don't know about you, but I thought they were going to walk the Europa League, be back in the Champions League next year, probably do really well in the league as well. But it's Inter Milan, actually, that uh, are doing the better of the two. I, th- I think there are massive parallels between Inter and, AC and, and Milan um, in terms of... It was exactly the same for Inter last season. They had a huge investment at the beginning of the season. They brought in lots of players and they were they were atrocious, to be honest. They were really, really poor. And now, going into this weekend, where they're, where they're playing Juve on Saturday, they're top of Serie A. So this stuff takes time. Yeah, and it probably isn't against the argument that everyone's got with Pep Guardiola. Now, he, he has had... I mean, it's a hell of a lot more money to spend even than, than, than those two Italian clubs have spent but it's how you spend it if you don't spend it right it's it's easily just to fritter it away and Everton as well on, on, maybe he's not the, on the same level but you can spend as much money as you like but if you're not spending on the right players then it, it, it doesn't matter how much money you've got yeah what they need is to get an online goalkeeper from Juve <laughs> stick him up front <laughs> yeah and just fire the ball at his head. Uh, Agent Brignoli. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next number, and that's number 19, and that's the number of red cards Sergio Ramos has received in La Liga, the most in the competition's history. Uh, so it's not been the greatest year for Real Madrid so far, I think it's fair to say, and this is a record I would say they don't want. Obviously, last year that we saw them break in records, as in you know, first team to defend the Champions League, Ronaldo making goal-scoring records every week. Is this sort of symptomatic maybe of Real Madrid's season so far they've got another red card and another sort of bump in the road uh, Barcelona drew and they didn't capitalise on it Possibly um, I think that Ramos has always been this kind of player he's always had problems with his discipline um, and it's easy to pick holes in the fact that he's been sent off this weekend and align it with Real Madrid when actually during Real Madrid's periods of dominance and success he also was a hothead and used to get sent off a lot as well 19 um, of them yeah exactly So, um, and, and Ramos the thing about him is he's, he's a fantastic player I think he's, his combination of athleticism and ball playing ability makes him uh, fairly unique and the fact that he gets sent off a fair bit is probably a small price to pay um, at the end of the day but with Madrid it's going to be interesting for them now because they're currently I think fourth in the league um, they're, they are going to have to probably focus on the Champions League now um, hugely because I think that the ship may have sailed slightly for La Liga it's obviously early days still and yeah. Barcelona could, could wobble but um, I, I think we'll see them really focus on, on getting that third consecutive Champions League So David when a player speaking from the uh, viewpoint of a professional when you're someone in your team has a tendency of getting sent off a lot given that he's meant to have such leadership qualities you know he is the captain of Real Madrid mm. captain of all those egos he's the one who's the leader of the lot is it damaging for the other players to see a player constantly getting sent off? I think the difference with Real is that they're so dominant in the majority of the games that it doesn't have a real effect on the side. So it, 
if it, if it's petulance at the end of a, a defeat against Barcelona, the next few the games that game's lost, and then the next few games they they're going to win those games easily, so they don't miss him. So it's it's not like it's he's costing the team points. Um, I think that's it's it's it, it, it to me it does take away from the the player that he is simply because it's not actually part of his game. If you look at someone like Pep uh, Pepe, yeah. That was that was what his game was about. He was about uh, upsetting strikers. He was about being narky. He was that, that was all part of his game, and that's how he, he, he that's how he got to the top. I mean, he was a fantastic. He is still a fantastic defender, but that was all incorporated in, in the way that he played. Where with Ramos, it's not, and you know, it's it's difficult to to describe him without swearing, really, because he, <laughs> it's it's simply because it it's needless most of the time. It's petulant. It's hmm. and from that aspect, then it's. You don't want to see your captain to, to, to be like that. You, you're right, he's, you've got to be an example. But the fact that the, the, it doesn't cost them any points and, and they don't really miss him when he's out, it, it, it doesn't make a difference to his teammates, really. I think a, a comment on what you were saying about him being the captain should be leading from the front. I think, in a way, he probably sees the way he carries himself on the pitch is doing that, and that probably leads to the red cards. He is the person who's going to, you know, the way they play um, on the front foot so often, they basically play two at the back because, you know, Marcelo's a left back in, in name, and that's about it. He, 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 you know, mm. positions he takes up are way, way from further advanced in the field. Um, and so I think he probably feels like he has to step up and give that kind of bit of competitive spirit at the Especially back. Especially now Pepe's gone, his partner in crime. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, I mean, I don't think it's a huge deal. I think he's a fantastic player, and I'm sure he'll be right at the forefront when they do turn it around. But that's mad, isn't it? Like, if there's 19 red cards in LA, how many games? Has he been suspended for? Because it must be close to forty. Yeah, it's maybe nearly he's, a season. He just loves going back down to Seville and having a bit of time off. In the, uh, <laughs> is it, is, it, is, it, is it worked out right? Every twenty-two games he gets a red card. Really? Yeah. Blimey. Yeah. Hey, good for him. Lots of holidays. Yeah, yeah exactly. Lots of sitting. Well, yeah, like I say, can, sitting can down in Seville. You, sporting in a team in the EFL. It's, it's interesting how many more red cards and or bans there seem to be just before Christmas. So he's just missed that boat. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on to another Spanish man, and that's with the number fourteen. David De Gea, and that's the number of saves he made against Arsenal, which was basically the game for me that disproved expected goals. Because Arsenal had a million shots, scored one, but Man United, to be fair, didn't actually look like they were going to lose at any point. They, I know they conceded one and it went to 2-1, but it, I still felt confident the whole time that Man United just were going to get there because it looked like they were sort of soaking up the Arsenal shots, soaking up the Arsenal pressure and... Arsenal were, in a way, kind of crumbling. I mean, yeah. No, I, th- I think the the fact that they, they gave two s- soft goals away very early on in the game, it changes the dynamic Completely. of it so so much. And whether it's uh, whether it's conscious or subconscious, when you, you go two 0 up, then you do take your foot off the pedal a little bit, and you do relax, and you maybe concede a little bit more possession than you would do. I mean, the, the, I mean you're right. The amount of shots they they perhaps should have been. You know, at least get themselves back in the game. But then you look at the quality of the game. And fourteen, okay, fourteen saves. They weren't all crucial saves. Yeah. There was, I'd say, max five. And I think some of them were bad finishing as well. well some, ter- I mean, um, that save from Sanchez was absolutely unbelievable. Basically, a sliding tackle, having just made a save. I yeah, mean, that, yeah, that was the one that really stood out. Yeah, but, but it, it's, I mean, that's it's suppose a save that a lot of goalkeepers might not simply because he's. Uh, Using his feet, it's a, it's a massive part of his game, and uh, even though maybe 
to, to a lot of people might seem like it's a, it's just a natural instinctive reaction. It's not. Some keepers, when you're trained uh, to, to to react to second shots, uh, to second balls once you've saved the first one, it's to get back on your feet and maybe go to a, a game with your hands and mm. get your body forward so you can sort of block it where he was just instinctive and because, and because it, well not instinctive but because it, he used his feet so much that's probably more in the foot in the front of his mind than, than most keepers and now he's, he's actually changing the way that the goalkeepers uh, train you know with the, the, the K shape that he pulls when he's blocking shots 1v1 it's not like um, I know a lot of people kind of Lazily say that Manuel Neuer's re- revolutionised goalkeeping. He hasn't revolutionised goal. Revolu- You're doing it years ago, Priestley, weren't you? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, that was just a bad judgment. I think. You should switch off and just forget why. <laughs> the uh, he just took it to another level because he does everything so much better than the, a lot of keepers who uh, you, you compare him to. But he's um, but in, in a different way, the way that De, De Gea is. Uh, Playing the game and the way that is the techniques he's using, you can see now it's, it's very influential in how the, the, the art's being coached. It's funny as well, isn't it? Because you don't the other keeper that uh, equals the record with Tim Krull, obviously playing for Newcastle, a very different quality of team, standard of team. You don't often see the absolute best, the best goalkeepers having to work this hard normally. I think you know you look at uh, teams that often come in for sort of England contention and. It's ones that, you know, like someone like Tom Heaton or Jack, Jack Butland or, or Joe Hart who are getting peppered with shots all season. Jack Butland, uh, no, not Jack, uh, what am I trying to say? Jordan Pickford uh, as well, just facing shots all the time. And I think you you forget sometimes the hardest thing for a lot of the goalkeepers is is that concentration thing. So it's it's quite, it was entertaining to see a keeper who you're used to seeing have to save two shots a game, yeah. have to be in constant uh, work. I, I completely agree, and it was a you know amazing performance from him. Um, I was surprised watching the game to hear Steve McManaman at halftime say that he thought that um, uh, Mourinho's advice to his players would be to keep going more of the same, and they were comfortable because that wasn't the game I was watching. It felt to me like he just looked to the scoreline and and decided that I, I don't think they were comfortable at all. I, th- I think Arsenal's finishing was poor. Mm. Um, I think that they're, that United weren't as good at the back as they have been in recent times. On the counter attack, they were they were fairly destructive. Um, but on your expected goals point, I feel like my my role at the moment seems to be just continually sticking up for the. Uh, for, well, for, I mean, for I'm Mister. I'm, I'm the football dinosaur who doesn't understand. Yeah, no, it. of course. <laughs> but I think because it's an interesting point, and I and I do think that you know expected goals taken in um, in isolation is always going to be misleading, and I think that in that respect, things like match that they're using it isn't particularly helpful because it's showing people a very small sample size mm. when you need the bigger picture. But having said that, if you look at that in the bigger picture, you mentioned yourself that it was poor finishing. So if for the likes of Sanchez or whoever it was who, who were missing easy chances, that will, in a long-term data pool, affect how they're viewed. So that would, the fact that they, uh, they underperform their XG will therefore go into a huge bigger pile and, and, and influence that data stream that will, that will dictate both how Arsenal have performed against their XG and how the players have. And I think that's important still. I think that the fact that... De Gea made 14 shots. The fact that they had so many shots from good from good areas, I think, is is relevant and necessary to analyse their long term performance. So whilst I'm not here telling you that I think that um, you know the five one scoreline that XG came up with would have been a fair result, I'm not. But at the same time, the story of that game still remains that United were clinical, Arsenal squandered lots of chances, and that's all that's saying. And taken in isolation, it, it looks misleading, but it, it is telling. It is giving some value 
to long-term views on both players and teams. David, where do you stand on expected goals? Do you know what? I don't understand what the fuss is all about, really, because it's just a it's it's a guideline. You know, it's it, it, you you you're measuring things against an average mm. and to to give you a better insight. You know, it's it's not something that you're going to use 100. percent No, you know what I mean, it's something that can help you. You know, if you've watched a game, it can help uh, sort of back up your judgments or or the influence where you're thinking. But it's it's. Uh, you don't have. It's like you have to be either 100 uh, <laughs> percent yeah, yeah, XG, or, or you don't. You think it's the most useless stat, quote useless stat in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. in football. I mean, the, the two things I would say is that you know yourself there. You've said this was the game. I don't. You know, Rob, you're here to, to be educated on you, so this is fine. <laughs> so you, you said it was again proved to me it was the most useless stat, and then you said um, Arsenal's finishing was poor. Arsenal's finishing was poor is just a very very. Um, basic way of saying that they they underperform their xG that that that's all it is mm. and I'm not saying that as a football fan xG has much of a role to play in it when I go and watch Oxford on a Saturday I couldn't care less what our xG is against you know Bradford like who traitor I'm there because I want three points but both as a you know looking for long term trends uh, for people who are involved in gambling as well um, it's basically proven to be mm. like very important and, 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 and very insightful so you know as the average football fan I'm not telling you to get involved but to, 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 to write off its its its, um, its insight would be would be foolish but it, it's like all arguments about analytics and football now that it, it, it's a lot of people under the impression that's you know, you'd have to just you just do it uh, you do your, your recruitment or your scouting or your, your, your analysing all through numbers when it's not you, you do it's like a, a mixture between the two exactly Okay, so something like XG doesn't take an account sort of. It might be the this the same position that the the players in unmarked, but there might be spin on the ball. It doesn't take an account the weather, but or it doesn't take an account that maybe the 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 standard of goalkeeper you're playing against. Are these are these your excuses that no, you're no, just there's there's spin? But no, 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 but, <laughs> no, but this is if, if there's a lot of spin the ball so hard to get direction on a header or a volley, and so in those cases then. You use your own eyes. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And I think with the recruitment, um, Ted Knutson, who, who um, runs StatsBomb, always says that recruitment's often, with, with stats, is often looked at the wrong way, where some clubs or some people will, will see a player and then delve into their stats, where it, sh- it should be the other way around. You should use the stats mm. to throw up people whose, whose numbers are interesting, and then, and then you go and watch them. Yeah. Mm. And then you decide with, with with the eye test. You don't just buy them on the back of, oh, you know, he had 15 shots in two games from inside a six-yard box because, you know, that could be a, a drop in the ocean. Maybe he hasn't had a shot inside a six-yard box for, for, for 10 years before that. You've got to, you know, just find the, the diamonds in the rough and then go and find out if they are actually diamonds. What, what people have got to understand as well, like XG, it's 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 one of the more accessible um, stats and, and part of, parts of analysis when there, there is so much more going on deeper than that. Yeah. That's... That will be more detailed. That it, it, it is a more accurate representation rather than just that. But to be honest, pe- people don't want a TV show where, or the majority of people, don't want a TV show where it's just all numbers coming mm. up because it's 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 yeah, yeah, it's not entertaining. Yeah, it's, it's a great school. podcast. It's a great <laughs> podcast. No, no, no but <laughs> we're defending numbers, aren't we? <laughs> no, but it, it but it is. Or is it, people talk about you know the the use of analytics and, and numbers in sort of uh, for, for uh, match of the day or something like that. You watch a match of the day for the action. You yeah. Know, mm. You go somewhere like we're sitting here now for the numbers. Or yeah. You, you know, you, you go to other places for the numbers. It doesn't always have to be sort of uh, everything yeah. all in one pot. 
I, I, I think the fact alone that we're having the conversation is, is a good thing because, and I've been accused by certain quite high profile people in football media of being fairly judgy about this, but it's, it's not going anywhere. I'm right here, George. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not going anywhere. So I think, you know, like it or lump it, basically. <laughs> All right, let's talk. Talking of expected goals, I personally expected about 40 of them against West Ham uh, the other day, Manchester City, but the number is 155. David Silva has won 155 games as a Manchester City player, the most recent, of course, against West Ham. Uh, it's the most in the club's history as a player, and he racked that number up. He he put the icing on a cake with his winner against West Ham the other day. Uh, people are talking about, there's been a bit of a sort of debate with a few players throughout the, the week over whether he's the best player Man City have ever had. How good do we think David Silva is? Because in terms of the players they've signed since they got all the money, since it all started with, not even before Rubinho, with the Elano. Elanos of the world, yeah. <laughs> Those players that have come in, none of them, well, I suppose this is a debate, have any of them had the influence that David Silver has had? It's an influence. I think, I think Vincent Company's first four or five seasons at City were pretty symbolic of, of a complete shift in, or a power shift in English football. And I think he was the, you know, both iconically and, and, on, and on the pitch was the figurehead of that. But I think that David Silva represents something that is very unique to the Premier League. I think he's such a special player. I think City fans have been saying that he's basically the best player they've ever seen for a long time. Um, and as with all these things in football, you know, people seem to get the credit that they that they um, deserve towards the end of their careers when maybe they're, mm. they're on the wane. I don't think Silva is on the wane. Um, and like... Gigs winning Sports Personality of the Year when he was about forty. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I think he's absolute class. I think he's the closest thing that that we've had in the Premier League to, to Iniesta, um, where he has that ability to to just his passing ability is absolutely unbelievable. His movements amazing. He's creative. Um, he's not afraid to get, get on the ball and keep it simple as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm a huge, huge fan, and I think he, he deserves all the accolades. I mean, he, he could score more goals. Uh, it's been the case all through his career, but what a finish <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> at an important time on the weekend. But the goals thing, you know, Iniesta doesn't exactly rack him up, does no. he? No, but I, I think... Is that a pun on Rakitic as well? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but if it makes you happy, it can be. But it, it, I think a big difference might make uh, in the, from now on and, and going forward is, the, uh, is Kevin De Bruyne. The fact that he often finds himself in deeper positions, going back to pick up the ball and and, and setting things off, it, it kind of frees David Silva up to be a little bit more forward. And maybe, maybe you will see him score more goals and 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 create more goals directly. Yeah, because he finds himself further forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And also because naturally, as he gets older, he's he's, he's not going to be as athletic as he once was, which it makes sense for him to drift into pockets of space. The same has happened with Iniesta. Mm. You know, Iniesta doesn't get on the ball nearly as much now as he used to for Barca. He's almost playing on the left now just finding pockets of space which he can then exploit rather than being on the ball all game and I think Silva could go that way Yeah and the emphasis probably should be more on him in the past to be that's the hub of creativity yeah. whereas now they've got so many options now they've got four or five options in, in one side that they can maybe not do the same job as him but it can can create chances and, and, and create opportunities well, They've basically got four wingers I mean, yeah. it's Sane, Sterling, Delph and, uh, and, and, and Walker all just camped yeah. kind of yeah. you know, it's in, the, in terms of the city's best ever player, I think you got the sort of nostalgic old boy saying Colin Bell. Yeah. But then <laughs> you've got your Agueros, David Silva. Your Sean Goaters. Your Sean Goaters. <laughs> Georgie King Cladzer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is he? Is he? Because think of. King Cladzer is a nice shout. It is, yeah. yeah. The trophies they've gone on to win. 
But then I think that you, you, you romanticise the past so much for these teams. Yeah. Um, at the FSF, so I was sitting next to a City fan, um, and the general consensus, consensus is that whilst it's great, you're not as connected to the club as, as you were when you weren't very good. Yeah. And you hear Chelsea fans say a lot as well. So I think you're going to romanticise the past, but if, if you're actually levelling them up in terms of footballing talent, um, I think these guys are going to be pretty far ahead. I was quite surprised when I went to the, uh, it must be their first, the first home game of the season against Everton, and just walking to the uh, walking to the Etihad and just listen to Man City fans. And there was three people I heard say, I think it'll be one wanted here. Really? You yeah. know, it's ridiculous. I mean, as a, as a Sunderland fan, imagine <laughs> imagine myself in their position. I'll be walking there expecting 5 0 every, well, every game. After the news this week, I'd rather imagine them being in their position than yep. be, being a Sunderland fan. <laughs> it must be so strange being a Man City fan and then coming across like young lads that are City fans that have never known. Because I was, I was looking at Man City uh, at the weekend and I was, looking, I was looking on Twitter a little bit and saw City fans saying, oh, West Ham camped in their box. Oh, it's so negative. I'm thinking like ten years ago. This was you, <laughs> like you were yeah. you were as bad, if not worse, than us. Yeah. And now you're like giving it all this. Oh, you can't defend up here, rubbish. And then Fabian Delph said it at the end as well. I was like, oh well, play, teams just, just don't come here. Like, well, yeah, we'd lose twenty five nil. I think it's just a different club. Um, I think if they if they were still at you know the fact they moved from Main Road, they moved across town as well. I mean, it's still quite close, but it's still you know it's a good a few miles away. I, I think it's it just doesn't feel like the same club, does it? I was going to say you, you wouldn't find. Uh, Pep Guardiola playing Edison up front like Stuart Pearce played David yeah. James <laughs> but Edison. having said that so, uh, it might be, be a good. bad option yeah. to be honest with you he'd be decent yeah he's probably better than half the uh, half the, the strikes in the Premier League yeah, yeah. Yeah. did you see the must like the comparison video with Joe Hart before he punted it out to Wayne Rooney and then Edison yeah. just like controlling it taking it around someone and passing it off like he's got a cushion on his foot yeah, yeah he's classed yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Manchester derby then given we talked about United talked about City where do we think this is going to go? Because this is a massive, massive, easily the biggest game of the season so far. First week, second, I know there's a, a bit of a gap between them, but every every time City have played the last sort of three or four games, there's been that kind of doubt maybe that they'll get the result. It's taken them a little bit later than S- normal. And now this weekend is, is kind of the first time we see, okay, are they going to... Is this gap going to go or are they just going to accelerate and go on for the rest of the season? City have been level after 82 minutes of the last four games and have gone on to win all four. Um, for me, a lot of people are saying that it's showing a kind of clutch mentality, but for me that shows a drop-off in, in performances because um, they were blasting teams away. And obviously it's great that they can get those wins from those difficult positions, but at the same time it's concerning. And I mean, that and that isn't an easy... So that isn't a hard run of games either. Um, West Ham, Feyenoord, Southampton um, and one other... It's and, and Huddersfield. Um, I think that Jose would have looked at the Arsenal game and been fairly livid with his defenders. Um, and I expect to see a return of the old Manchester United bus uh, <laughs> this weekend. Um, and they'll try and frustrate City and play on the break, which they I mean if the, if Martial is in the kind of mood that he was in. I thought Lukaku was very good against Arsenal as well, despite not scoring. Mm. Um, and they'll try and play fast on the break. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, everything in my head. Tells me that City will, will should win it, but but you know we know we, we know that Mourinho defies logic, and yeah. and it's going to be a fairly lively affair. Is it my theory about it? Is is it knackering playing against eleven men behind the ball every week? Is it are they sort of struggling to get the big scores again because they're exhausted of trying to break down these defenses? Because these uh, last four results, like you say, they're not against the most 
No. Desirable teams. Some, some going to beat them as well. Yeah, but Same the have chances. Yeah. The um, the way they have to play, you know, they look so much better once it gets stretched out a little bit because mm. they seem to, you know, that Guardiola thing, they can pass between anything they like. But then when it's just these these blocks, they've been facing that for, I guess, half a season. When they come up against a, a better team, is that going to be sort of uh, liberating for them because they'll get to play sort of properly and it will be maybe less tiring? And then Man United, like you say, the bus is going to come out. <laughs> so Man United are going to be playing like Huddersfield, but yeah. with that extra bit of quality. Is that kind of what we're looking at at City? They're, they're almost mental fatigue from trying to break down these teams. Yeah, but I think it's, they don't panic. They, they, they keep, they're patient. They don't stray away from uh, from what they do in the first minute. So it's doing the same thing in the, in the last five minutes. So... More than anything, that's they're not stressing themselves mentally, and that's probably more important than anything they're doing physically. Physically, they obviously the, the forwards of uh, they're, they're moving all the time, but it's not the, it's not exactly the same as you know they're making a lot of runs in behind and and, and and tying themselves that way. I think it's it's been brilliant for me watching them being tested this way, especially against Huddersfield. Huddersfield mm. were magnificent, and. It, it did have a little bit of a feel that uh, it was it was inevitable what was going to happen. It was just a you know the, the, the breakthrough eventually. Yeah. But the fact that they, they, they they've changed the way that uh, the teams have approached games. It's a long time since I've seen uh, opposition set up so defensively as they as they have done in Man City the last few weeks, and it's. You can say whether it's spoiling or not, or not because it's as a contest. It's it's not a great. It's it's uh, you know for neutral it's not a great uh, game mm. to watch, but it it is fascinating to see how they cope with it and it'll probably get other teams. It might it might get United a draw on Saturday. Um, Huddersfield, like I said, Huddersfield were unlucky, but the only way that a team is going to 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 beat City is by having a go at them. Now it's a huge risk because you know you 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 might end up win the game, you might lose six. So mm. it's it's difficult for 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 a manager to do that, and it's a brave manager to do that. But I think that um, Saturday, somebody's got to give. You know, those 40 games unbeaten at home, United now. Unbelievable. Yeah, and it's 13 straight wins for, for City. I think yeah. someone might give, I think. They don't look they don't look invincible defensively. I think that's, Definitely not that's fair They've conceded uh, in each of the last four games, haven't they? Yeah. Um, and what is it? M- Mangala... I mean, say, say it quietly, but I mean, he get, gets a lot of sticks, so we haven't said it loudly. I'm, John Stones is a huge, huge loss for them at the moment. Mm. Um, he started the season so so well defensively and on the ball, and having that, you know, Otamendi is doing it at the moment, being that kind of ball playing uh, centre back. But I think we can all agree that that Stones is probably better suited to it, um, mm. and I think they're missing him. Well, weirdly, it seems to me because company obviously come back in uh, a couple of games ago, didn't he? He wasn't wasn't there I d- I d- I on don't, Sunday. I, th- I, I, I feel like the young players don't look up to company the way they do to. Stones, because there's all these new young lads, basically, you know, the 15 attacking midfielders they signed and wingers. Yeah. Uh, they seem to sort of look up to... I don't think company's the same player as he was, sadly, no. and I don't think he ever will be. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they remedy that, because he still seems to have that role in the team where he, if, when he, when he's fit, he plays. Um, and that, that may not be the best thing going forward. Yeah. Um, but then they don't have many other options either, so I mean, he's probably still a better option than Mangler, so... So yeah. you know they, they need stones back. I'd say. Yeah, Mangler is not not, not great. No, I think he had to do one thing on Sunday and nearly messed it up, didn't he? <laughs> uh, right. Let's move on to the final number, and that's one hundred percent, which is Jurgen Klopp's win rate against Everton. Uh, 
Everton have been a real mixed bag this season. We thought they were going to be brilliant at the beginning. We thought, I mean, I, I think, I certainly thought they were a shoe in for seventh place and then they were horrible. And now they've got Big Sam. Two clean sheets, six goals. But Liverpool also look like they're, they're firing again. That 5-1 win against Brighton the other day, despite having no defenders. Mm. Uh, they look like they might be sort of getting into fifth gear, fourth gear, tr- trying to sort of reach their full potential uh, as, as far as their team goes this season. So what do we reckon for the Merseyside derby? Big Sam versus Klopp. <sighs> depends how much impact <laughs> Big was that, Sam... Was that, was that breathing out? Yeah. <laughs> the Big well, Sam or the just, Klopp? No, no, it just it's depends, it depends what Big Sam can do. I'm, I'm, a, big Sam, <laughs> I'm a big Sam fan, um, to be fair. I think this, this appointment, maybe because the way it was handled was met with some... Um, some uh, raised eyebrows but I, th- I think it's a smart appointment I think that his his being labelled as kind of a dinosaur I think is unfair um, there was a Monday Night Football about six weeks ago where he was on um, with uh, Jamie Carragher and Dave Jones and they spoke about his managerial philosophy and it's nothing you know mind boggling but it's things like he when he comes in he tells his players just, you know if you're going to pass the ball backwards don't don't do that that's not the way we're going to play and while some for some managers you know possession based Managers, that's that's going to be the way they want their players to play. He's got a very, you know, good idea of how he wants teams to play. Good idea of what what wins points. Good idea of what creates chances. What stops goals. And if he can implement that quickly at Everton, you know, a lot is said about the way teams play football. But at the end of the day, Everton fans, I can guarantee you, if they're winning games under Big Sam's method method of playing, they're not going to care. They might they might say they will, but they're not going to care. Getting three points and playing ugly is better than getting no getting no points and knocking around the back a lot. So. Yeah, I, I personally think that this will probably be too early for Sam to have much of an influence. Um, and I think that this Liverpool team are still definitely top four material, at least. Um, so I'd probably see it going their way. But it's going to be, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a fun couple of months to see how Allardyce can. I think this is the job that Allardyce has always wanted to the extent that he, he's never going to get a top six job, and Everton's mm. the best of the rest. And I think this is he'll see it, having made a bit of a mess of a certain national team job. Um, not the, the job itself, but of losing it. I think that he'll see this as his opportunity to show the world what he can actually do. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp, the first Liverpool manager to win his first three Merseyside derbies in the Premier League. Uh, David, how how good do you think they were at the weekend and how good do you think they're going to become? I, th- I think we all know the, the, the deficiencies they've got as well. I think that could be telling at the weekend. It's it's interesting to see that um, Big Sam isn't going to Cyprus with the, with the side on, uh, on Thursday night. I think Craig Shakespeare is going to be taking the side. So he's obviously putting a lot of work into this. He knows how important it is for the fans. And, and, and in all honesty, Everton have been horrible at the back. Yeah. Up, up until two games ago, they, they were awful at the back. And uh, if anybody's going to correct that, it, it's, going to be, uh, it's going to be Sam. Uh, it, we talk about deficiencies, defensive deficiencies. They've got their con- liberal con- concede goals from set pieces. That could be one area that he, he looks to. He's going to look to um, to, <clears throat> to to try and gain advantage, and, and they've got the players to do that. They, they have got some height, uh, you know, good players like Ashley Williams who are good at attacking the ball, Phil Yagielka, and and they've got good delivery as well through uh, Gilvy Sigerson. So it, it could be an area that's uh, they're targeting, and mm. that could be one of the things that's you know. It, that's big Sam. Why he's not going to Cyprus because they, they, if they've put the work in put the time into to the set pieces which a lot of clubs don't do it's, it's still a neg- hugely neglected area of the game 
uh, it's connected or in, in people's minds it's connected to to direct uh, Neanderthal football but it's such a huge uh, part like, I mean mm. was it a third of all goals scored from set pieces well, I mean look Real Madrid in the last three years have been unbelievable years at pieces mm. and they've won two Champions Leagues <laughs> mm. I think they've scored yeah. comments that later but we, I think they've scored six goals from set pieces this season alone yeah I think Guilfrey Sigerson as well obviously massive money signing for Everton I think they expected something maybe slightly different from him than what they got but he when he saw Big Sam and obviously Allies like we say has a bit of a yeah you know, a, a, a nuance for set pieces. Yeah. I think Gilfie Sigerson's stats are going to start flying up, 50, aren't they? 50 million quid for a guy who's good at set free kicks. They should have bought me. I, I can yeah. still whip in a good corner. Well, yeah, but um, it is a, it's a valuable skill, isn't it? it? It's, it's think, a huge, of, think of Payet when we were... And, 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 you know, Sir Alex Ferguson mentioned it about Charlie Adam all those years ago, mm. saying that he was worth the money Liverpool paid for him alone because of his corners. Yeah. Um, I think that, that what David said about, about Williams and Jagielka is, is important because I think Williams especially has been called culpable for a, a lot of mistakes and I think Allardyce needs to work out fairly quickly if those two guys are, are over the hill or if he can get them back to their best because Michael Keane is a, is a very promising centre-back who I'm sure he'll invest in so he's, he's just got to got to block that gap and, and, and assess whether or not Williams is, is especially still up to the task mm. Yeah, about uh, Gilfie Sigerson the one thing I couldn't understand is when, when they, they paid all that money for him why not play him in exactly the same position and make an exact li- or uh, as close a link up as you can do that he had with Lorente mm. instead of okay they used him for his set pieces but he, they, they played him out wide you, use him in the role that he was, play, he was playing for Swansea to get the best out of him play him in the uh, in the role that's that's got him the, the 50 million pound yeah, move yeah. in the first place now obviously we, we, it's all like the the history behind the uh, Lukaku move and not getting a replacement, but that that would that, that was as key to making uh, Luc, uh, Sigurdsson work, getting somebody that he can link up with and uh, to use as a, as a focal point. Calvert-Lewin's done done great for a young kid. Uh, he's probably had a, a lot more of a workload put on him than he, he thought and that Evan expected to put on him. So it, it, perhaps it, perhaps it'll accelerate his development as well. But I just couldn't understand that. You know, you, you play you pay fifty pound uh, fifty million pound for a for a player, then don't use him to his best capabilities. I think that that's a massive question mark about Everton generally is their strategy. Um, as you mentioned, they bought Sigurdsson and they've got Rooney, who basically want to do exactly the same thing and take mm. up the same positions on the pitch. They got rid of Lukaku, brought in Sandro, like a completely different player. Mm. Got got Sigurdsson in, as you mentioned, who done so well with Llorente and, and Bonnie before that. Didn't bring in a striker who he could aim for balls in the box. Their, their ideal manager was Marco Silva. Their second choice was Sam Allardyce, two completely polar opposite managerial candidates in terms of style, personality, age, background, everything. I'd, I mean, I'd love to be told who's making the decisions. Mm. I think I know who it is, but I'd love to be told how there's any method to, to, to what's going on behind Short-sighted, the scenes. Short-sighted, isn't it? I think that's such a similar trend with all these, all these teams that spend the big money. But I, th- I think short-sighted can sometimes, when you're in a relegation battle, be fine. But I, I think it's, it's just not sighted. It's, it's, <laughs> it's slapdash and it's, it's basically, you know, pin the, pin the tail on the donkey. Well, you can listen to the Merseyside Derby on Deezer, on the app. You can do whatever you like. You've been walking around. As long as you've got the Deezer app, you'll get a little notification. And you can listen in to that on this app. So while you set your reminders for that, let's move on to the next section, I'm Embarrassed to Ask. I'm Embarrassed to Ask. All right, so here we are in December, making our Christmas lists, etc., etc. We're all doing it, sending them to our mums, dads, whatever. Managers are also doing it to their chairmans. 
chairmen, even chairmans. Terrible grammar. <laughs> terrible grammar. Chairpersons. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chairpersons. Bang on. I've been corrected, and so I should be. It's 2017, everyone. Uh, but obviously, with January, you can start talking to players who have six months left on the contract. Am I right? And so I was seeing a list the other day of some of the names with just six months left. So these are, you're going to have to explain it to me, lads. You're going to have to educate me on this one. Is this a Bosman transfer if you sort it out six months beforehand? Because players with just half a year left on their contract, we've got Alexis Sanchez, Ertzil, Ander Herrera, Juan Mata, Ross Barkley, uh, Emre Chan, Daly Blin, Luke Shaw, Van Landinho, Jack Wilshere, Mario Balotelli, uh, Max Meyer, Bernard, Marouan Fellaini, and of course the wonderful informed West Ham striker, Diafra Sacco. <laughs> so how can you kind of approach these players in January without it being tapping up? Because that's the phrase that I feel like 10 years ago everyone was using all the time. Everyone's saying, oh yeah, we've tapped him up, tapped him up, whatever. And people were getting sort of in trouble for it. But now you don't really hear it as much. And if there's six months left on the contract, it doesn't count. Is that how it works? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was a, a, I think it was a Belgian player, Mr. Bosman, who about 25 years ago um, fought a legal case where he wanted to be able to um, basically move on for free at the end of his contract, which um, before that wasn't necessarily legal. Um, and I think we take it for granted now. But basically, that, that is it. Um, on the tapping up subject, I would say that us as football fans um, romanticise the transfer dealing uh, business quite a lot and we're also fairly naive. I would say that generally what this will mean, you know, l legally a player can't speak to another club without his club's permission mm. unless it's six months before and, and their contract's running out. But, you know, David, you'll know more than me about this, but it's going to be the agents that basically, when you're hearing that, you know, Mesut Ozil's talking to Real Madrid, it's probably not... Mesut sitting down with Florentino Perez having a nice chat. You know, it's, it's going to be his agent. No, it's, it's going to be his right to Duncan Watmore. It's going to be, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be his agent having a chat with representatives of who are linked to Madrid to sound out whether or not there's a possible. You know, that's how how it'll work, and there are probably loopholes as to whether or not that's legal. Um, the other thing is, as we saw very clearly with the um, Virgil Van Dijk saga, uh, saga in the summer, is that the the punishments for um, tapping up fairly harsh and I'd say it's probably not in the Premier League's interests to implement them. So when you have Liverpool issuing an apology to Southampton and then returning for the same player about four weeks later, I think we can all probably agree they weren't very sorry and they'd obviously just been told by the Premier League, if you apologise we won't put the sanctions on you which would end up probably damaging the competition mm. damaging the Premier League's reputation um, so in that respect, it'll happen the whole time. And when it gets exposed or people complain, um, I think there has to be questions about the um, integrity of the sanctions that are meant to come in uh, on clubs who do do it. Yeah. Have you got any inf insider info on well, the Bosman? Well, I, I think it's, you know, people describe XG as the most useful start. I think this is, uh, tapping up is just a, it's a ridiculous issue because, yeah. because in any... Uh, any other form of business, it's it's just normal practice. And, and if you want to, you want to contact the player. You don't have to contact them directly. There's so many ways to do it. There's football is is a small world. If you don't know somebody, you, you know somebody who knows them. Yeah. And um, and it, all it takes is one phone call. And uh, of, of course, it's 
clubs use it to their advantage as well to unsettle players and to, uh, in, you know, unsettle players at rival clubs. So it puts some, maybe distracts them from uh, from the, their best form. And so, in, in, but you, there's no way of stopping it. This is the thing. And okay, and, and unless people are caught red-handed, where they're, they're actually in a meeting together, caught in a hotel. Uh, Sort of that's a different one, isn't it? Going to a hotel, hotel reception. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so often these tr- these trysts are made. Uh, it, it's um, it, it, you, you can't really stop it. So it's it, and it's it always ha- it's always happened. It always will. So it, it's I, I, I can't see the problem with it. it it's it, it's um, it's just a part of football. Mm. How many of these big names do we reckon are going for free then? Uh, it's interesting. I think player power is so so big now that probably a fair few of them. Yeah. Um, I'm already bored of the uh, Sanchez and Ozil um, storm before it's even started because that'll be very very tiresome. Um, you'd think that Luke Shaw, despite his um, mini resurgence, I guess um, yesterday, will um, will probably be let go unless he can have an amazing turnaround. Um, and Diafrasako, you'd have thought, will, will likely make way as well. Diafrasako um, will go and bet on his horses again and somehow get a contract extension. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, R- Barkley's an interesting one. Well, I mean, I'm not a huge fan, to be honest, but I think but that... Surely Allardyce is going to love Barkley, isn't he? I'll just go over his head, won't he? But um, no, no, yeah. I, I think I think he probably will. Um, but again, the way that Everton's recruitment's been set up it means that they've now got Barkley, Rooney and Gilfie, who will all want to play basically that advanced midfield role mm. centrally, and, or maybe just off the left. So... Um, yeah, it looks like there, should, there could be some bargains around, really. I think one thing this list does tell you, though, and it's it, it probably doesn't reflect great on the clubs of, the, of these players. Yeah, simply mm. because it's not great business, business practice for them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, unless they're happy for them to leave. Um, okay, you, you, there's still players under 24. You, you've still got some uh, some hold over the registration union title of compensation of a fee, but um, yeah, I mean. It, it should all be sorted by now. They shouldn't get to this point six yeah. months before the uh, before the end of their contract. That this everything's still up in the air, and and financially it doesn't make sense because they're going to get less money from them than they would six months a yeah. year ago. So it's um, it's it's bemusing to me, really, as l- unless hope against hope that they're, they're trying to keep those players yeah. at, the, at the club. Well, I think United retain a, a year option on all their ones. So Herrera, Mata, Shaw, Blint, and Fellaini. I think all of them. Um, which is fairly decent, considering they're all, you know, Herrera is obviously player of the year last year, but he's become a fringe player this season. Mm. So, you know, Matters the one you're really looking at there, and probably now Fellaini is the, is the two that would be most likely kept on. How much realistically can you demand of a player's transfer fee if they've only got six months left? Because oh, um, I, I think Arsenal are hoping quite a lot. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I still think Sanchez could go for about 30 million in January. You think? Yeah. Just, I think, I, mean, you could I, wait. I think Pep's just like, just, you know, just, just, just get, get me in. in. Doesn't um, matter. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Well, that's it. I mean, club, what, in this situation, the, the selling clubs are just relying on the desperation of others. Yeah. So, you know, you, you might get a, a big club who's struggling near the bottom of the league and they're willing to pay more. So, and, and realistically, Arsenal are in a position where they can. It, it, it's not. It's very un, an un-Arsenal like way of doing business to to not take advantage of it and and get the get the thirty like you said thirty million in, yeah. but also clubs are, are so cash rich now that they they can they can say well I'd rather have this player for six months and, and mm. lose the lose the rest of yeah. the fee. I mean Arsenal didn't even didn't even spend anything in the end did they? No, they said no. they're going to have their one hundred and fifty well, million pound war chest or whatever. Like and that was the only one made a profit, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs>
All right, let's move on to the next section. Who's this fella? Who's this fella? All right, I'm going to make this very clear that I'm reading this name as I see it. So, <clears throat> who's this fella? Sergei Milinkovic Savic? Sergei, I think. Okay, Sergei Milinkovic Savic. Sergei. Uh, Lazio goal scorer. How good is he, George? Because another thing I've got written on this paper is <laughs> that I should be sending texts about him because his name is SMS and it's the 25th anniversary of the SMS. Uh, Gosh, I maybe mean, maybe a little so tenuous, that one. He, he's younger than the text message, that means. Oh, I think God. he's 23. Um, Lazio are fun, generally. Um, they are a fun team to watch this year. They've, they've invested in young talent and I think um, it's going to be interesting seeing how they progress. Um, Obviously, they, they won 2-1 on the weekend um, with SMS. Can we just call him that, I think, because it's yeah. easier than doing the whole thing. With, with SMS getting getting the goal and then the assist both in the last 10 minutes. Um, he's a really... He's kind of that modern-day footballer, yeah. I would say. Where he's, he's a big old boy as well, isn't he? Six foot, he's, mm. he's six foot three, six foot four. Um, he is physical as well. Um, you know, he's not one of those... Um, I'm trying to think who's a good example. He... He, he he gets stuck in. He's good in the air. He's good with his body, but he's also a very very talented footballer. And um, he is uh, capable on the ball. He gets in the box late, uh, makes it runs to the box, score goals. He's tidy in possession. Um, he's a good player. I mean, the one thing I would say is he's he's fairly streaky. Um, mm. If you're looking at his uh, his record in Serie A this season, he's got three goals and one assists. Um, and I think they've come in three games, all of them basically. So the rest of them, he's not he's not really up to up to too much. But yeah. Um, as a young talent, he, he looks very, very good, and I think that uh, he's in a squad full of Lazio players who, well, where they're going to be encouraged to be fairly expressive. Um, I'm trying to think of who I consider compare him to as a player, but there aren't really that many kind of giant, um, like a two, maybe Yaya two, a little yeah, bit like uh, him. Like, but he, yeah. he plays a bit further forward, but yeah. maybe like a younger Yaya. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, maybe a bit like Ruben Loftus. He's six foot yeah, four or something. Isn't yeah, Loftus kind of, isn't bad. So I mean, I was, was going to say in Zonzi, but Zonzi, even Zonzi's a bit, a bit, a bit deeper. Um, mm. But no, he's that kind of that very almost mercurial, tall but robust midfielder. I think if you if you're asking for an example of sort of what what type of player he is. He'd be a great fit for Jose Mourinho, Man United side, mm. especially at the at the moment. The player that he wants Fellaini to be in. A way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he, he's got that physical capability. But when you've got the talent with the with your feet that he's got as well, he's so hard to get off the ball. You even see him in tight spaces. Yeah, you, you often see him with three players around him, and it, it's it keeps the ball close to him. But he just he just holds players off at will, and so that if if he's if he's got. Two players on him and try to take the ball from. There's a free that means there's a free player somewhere else, and that's why he t- you know he, he takes the advantage. How much of an impact do you reckon the manager he has for the next sort of couple of years is going to have on how he ends up playing? Because if you get the wrong manager, he well, could end up being elbow merchant. Surely? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. But I think that's the case with any player, isn't yeah. it? I think I think especially we've seen. <laughs> We've seen in the Premier League having Mr. Mourinho, Mr. Guardiola here. How, um, how you know, you stand Luke Shaw and Raheem Sterling side by side two years ago. There probably isn't much difference in terms of their of their ceiling. And now one is is probably looking at a move to a to a kind of probably unfair with Luke Shaw's leg break, though, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I think that's fair enough. But even so, we've seen it with Mourinho a yeah. fair few times the way he can, and I think the way he actually he's 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 dealt with Marcus Rashford's been. 
really good after I was initially very critical that he was stucking him out wide mm. but I think Rashford's improved as a, as a player because of it um, although I still think that if, if Rashford was, was Guardiola's it would have been a, a very different process um, so yeah I mean as with any young talent who, who's, who's kind of hitting the, the scene in Europe um, it's it's going to be important that he he's, he's encouraged to develop into the player that, that he should be I think Serie A isn't a bad place to be at the moment if you're an attacker though is it it's a good place Given to be for anyone. It's, yeah. it's a great league. Given that the sort of stereotype of it has yeah. always been sort of defensive and cagey and dirty, it's isn't it? The, last year it was the highest scoring league, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think it's going to be again this year. Yeah, um, and you've got teams, you know, Napoli, I think people wax lyrical about them, like what a great attacking team they are. And Lazio this year and yeah. Inter Milan is scoring. So, yeah, it's, it seems like he'll... Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and, and as I said, I think Lazio especially are, are you know, a really exciting prospect. Um, Is it uh, Chiro Immobile? Immobile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how long, much longer he'll be there, but he's, he's, you know, he's had a few moves that haven't worked out for him mm. um, away from Italy, and which have failed. I think mean, he didn't at Sevilla and at Dortmund. So he's probably the kind of player who now he's back to scoring goals, but won't be in a, in a hurry to move on. And he's, he's classed as well. Mm. All right, then. Let's go on to the final section, the stat showdown. Stat Showdown Okay then, here we are The Stats Showdown George of course is a, a veteran of the showdown He often comes with the wacky stats that you know, <laughs> really please me right to my very core <laughs> David Priest, you're a, a newbie to the Stats Showdown I am, yeah It's a two, best two out of three impress me game <laughs> basically of Stats knowledge yeah. pretty much um, so kind of snappy usable s- stats that don't take 16 minutes to describe to people pub ammo let's call it um, so George we'll let you lead the way with the first stat I'm going very continental for all my stats this week um, in Syria this weekend Kievo uh, play Roma uh, Roman striker Eden Dzeko has had more shots in the opposition's six-yard box this season in Syria than the whole Kievo team put together. Eight plays seven. How many has he scored? Because I saw him missing that. I don't know. Oh. A fair few, I'd have oh. thought. No, it, yeah, no, he, he no missed before their goal on Tuesday night, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, and yeah. then the geezer followed it up. Yeah. Eden Dzeko. He's done really well out there, hasn't he? It's class. Well, he's mm. a brilliant player, basically. Actually, he did, he did pretty well at Man City. Yeah, he just wasn't Sergio Aguero. In, in, in and out of the team the whole time as well. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Celtic could make it 67 games unbeaten in the Scottish Premier League yeah. on Saturday or this weekend. But that's nothing compared to Stoya Bucharest, who went 104 games unbeaten. That's the world record. Home, uh, 104 unbeaten games. Unbeaten run. 104 games. That was, uh, uh, eight, I think it was 1986 to 1989, just after they won yeah, the year. But the Romanian league was terrible then. <laughs> I heard that that was the height of the... I'm joking. <laughs> I have no idea. It was the height of the Romanian league. <laughs> okay. Hmm. I'm going first point to the debutant. Yeah, I think that's right. David Priest. I agree, fair enough. Priest's pieces. Thank you. Comes in. So, David, now you follow up. So then, <laughs> um, we spoke about Brignoli's goal at the weekend for Benevento. Yeah. Scoring his first goal in, in uh, first-team football, first-class football. But he's got a long way to go before he uh, he reaches the heights of Ruggiero Sini. 
Ah, yes. 131 goals. We've already spoken about set-piece merchants in this, so I think we can... <laughs> <laughs> just just Gilpie Sigurdsson playing in gold, isn't he? Um, right, what do I use here? You've obviously been impressed by streaks. I'm going off to Liga Nosh. Liga Nosh. Uh, Estoril, who obviously made great by Marco Silva all those years ago, uh, are currently on a run where they haven't scored in eight matches, consecutive games, 720 minutes of football. This weekend, they're going to Benfica, who have kept three clean sheets in a row. I think we can probably expect that to be extended for another one. Mm. Benfica, very much bottom of their Champions League group. Imagine being a fan. And not seeing a goal for nine... Eight games. Well, eight uh, games. Soon to be nine, yeah. Okay. George, you can have that one. Thanks, mate. We've done the set-piece merchants. We'll tie it up. <laughs> one apiece. Now, you follow up and try and get the killer blow in. The killer stat. Barcelona playing Villarreal this weekend, uh, who have scored more goals from open play than Real Madrid, than Real Madrid this season. Villarreal? Yeah, 17. Real Madrid, uh, Real Madrid only scored 15 goals from open play in, in La Liga this season. God. Yeah. Set That's piece, rubbish. Set-piece merchants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't believe that. Good. That's the whole point. Yeah. All right. Setting a high standard, David. I think yeah, you're punching up here. I'll, I'll stick with goalkeepers here. <laughs> if Simon Mignolet keeps a clean sheet which will be his fifth and nine against Everton he will have the same clean sheets per Merseyside derby record as Liverpool legend Rhea Clements 15-27 Simon Mignolet meant jo- to be naff but clearly <laughs> not or not in Merseyside derbies anyway Oh, both surprised me but I think I was physically taken aback by how poor Real Madrid have been. So I'm going to go final point to George. I'm sorry, David. Comeback win. To be fair, I was very impressed with his Portuguese pronunciation as well. Yeah. yeah. Etoril, Liga Nosh. Yeah, when you said Liga Nosh, I, was, I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I've been calling it, oh, Liga Nosh. Yeah, I know that one. Portuguese league, isn't it? Uh, George, where can people find you on the internet if they want to hear more Portuguese pronunciations of um, If they want to hear that, then they should probably just come and chat to me. But otherwise, yeah, on Twitter, at uh, George Ellick, E-L-E-K is my surname. And David, yourself? You can find me on Twitter, it's at David Priest 12 where I normally just bang on about goalkeeping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm plugging podcasts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can find me at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. You can find this podcast on Deezer or iTunes or all the places you find your podcast. So subscribe, share, review, all the good stuff. And of course, don't forget that you can listen to the Merseyside Derby this weekend on the Deezer app. And we will see you next time on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers.